Good morning. That video just touches my heart. I mean, that says it all. I, I want to thank God for, if I might in front of you all, thank God for my wife. I, when I was young in my faith, we had conferences for professional athletes and their wives. I think I've told you about this before. And we would meet normally in really nice places, Florida, Arizona, warm weather places, and really time for these guys to reflect upon their lives. And the two most important classes that they wanted all the time when we had these conferences was marriage and finances. And I um, had the privilege of, 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 of listening to men and women teach the very basics of, of, of a financial life from the very beginning of my faith, I would, I would sit in the classes. All the other guys, most of the other guys in the ministry would go off for coffee and relax a little bit. I sat in the back of the room, got my notebook out and my, my pad, and I would take notes on what God was trying to teach me. And every time that, that part of, of, of the scripture would just drive home my heart about finances. And I said to you a second ago, I thank God for my wife because she taught me the very biblical basis of giving. And in our home, the first cut of the pie is unto the Lord. It's just the way it is, and that's the way it always will be. And I would now, I wasn't like that in the beginning. You need to know. I, 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 I was like that guy. I was like that guy, you know, maybe, you know, eating all my, my part. And um, I learned, and, and I learned so well from Kay that I would be afraid now. Uh, to do anything else but. And uh, I, I just couldn't encourage you enough. I, I would pray that every single one of us, every single one of us would come to that, uh, that, that conference we're going to have here, the, the Crown Ministries. Uh, it, it will, I believe, revolutionize your whole way of, of life. Uh, let's face it, we're, we're living in a time right now where finances are, are difficult. Uh, I mean, you know, you see what's going on around. It's probably happening right in your home as it is in, in, in our home. Uh, the current financial state of our country, uh, the state in which we live, and yes, even our church, uh, needs to be addressed. And, and we need to look at it very, very uh, closely. And um, so I want to encourage you to do that um, and, and before we begin today, I, I, am, I can't even begin, I hope, I can't begin to tell you how excited I am to be in today's message. Would you turn with me to 1 Timothy, but I just want you to find 1 Timothy and just relax a little bit and look at chapter 1. And what we are going to see is the very heartbeat of Paul. This is a real privileged section of Scripture. In this, in this place in Scripture, what we are going to see is the humility the very heartbeat of Paul. You see, this letter is a, a personal letter that Paul wrote to his dear, beloved child in the faith, Timothy. And we're going to see uh, this, this faith of Paul, but also what we're going to see more mightily, in my opinion, is the grace of God and how God wants to bless every single one of us. Before we do get into 1 Timothy, though, I want to, I want to remind us that starting... Uh, tomorrow morning is Vacation Bible School here at the church. And, and it is um, one of the highlights we have during the year. I, I remember Pastor Bill telling all of us that, um, that, that going to VBS when he was younger was uh, impacted his life in a major, major way. 
And, and I know that we will be able to impact the lives of a lot of young people. You realize that um, there are over, over 130 young people who are coming to the church this next week, Monday through Friday morning. 130. Of that 130, there are, I don't know how many, but there are some who have never been to church before. They've just been invited from the neighborhood. They've, they've uh, accepted the invitation and they're coming. And, and they're, they're going to hear about Jesus Christ in a very clear way, I'm sure, for the very, very first time and maybe even pass it on to their parents. And maybe their parents will end up coming to church and hearing about our Savior. But more than that, more than the 130 young people who are coming, which is incredible, more than that is, is you. Over 100 of you volunteered to help Alma and these young people uh, move on their journey towards Jesus Christ. Over 100 of you. I mean, listen, I, I know how busy we all are. Some of, you have, some of you have taken your vacation time so that you would have this week off so that you could be here to, uh, to do some work with VBS. Uh, we have the most amazing church people on the face of this earth. I, I absolutely adore you. And I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart. And what I'd like for you to do is to stop with me for a moment. And let's pray. Let's ask God to take care of these young people that will be coming to our church and take care of those that will be serving and, and helping to uh, kind of help mold a little bit of the life of these kids. And also Crown Ministries. Father, there's much we can pray about. Let's face it, Father, there's so much. I want to thank you, Lord, that, um, that when our prayers are inadequate, you, uh, you have the very Spirit, the very Spirit of God comes up to you with groanings too deep for words, Father, to express what needs to really be expressed. And so, Lord, um, take our hearts and hear of us, but listen so closely, Father, of course, to the very Spirit of God that indwells within us who had grown to you the things that that are needed that we don't even know. Father, I want to pray for Vacation Bible School. I want to thank you for Alma, for Connie, for those that are helping to put that together. And Father, will you bless them all? And then, Father, these 130-plus young people that will be coming on our campus during this next week, will they be impressed and, and, and would they be uh, moved in their spirit Father, to trust and believe in you at a very young age so that they might know the wonders of this journey of walking with you all the days of their lives. And Father, for our finances in this church and for our finances in our homes and finances within all of our lives, may we get a real grasp of what you want to teach us uh, through this, this time we get together with Crown Ministries. Father, it will be life-changing, I know. So I pray your blessings on every level, Father. Thank you so much for these people in this dear church, Father. Bless, 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 I pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. First Timothy. Oh my gosh. First chapter, verses 12 through 17. I want to give you some really good news before we begin this message. And that good news is this. God has the power and God has the desire to transform our lives. The Bible records many conversions. Uh, 
so many that shows the grace, the, the power, the desire of God to, to take people who are lost and bring them into everlasting life. I mean, we can talk about the demon-possessed man at uh, Gadara. We talk about the Matthew, the tax collector, who was despised in his community. We can talk of the, uh, the adulterous woman who was thrown to the feet of Jesus Christ by the, the religious leaders of their day and asking them, asking Jesus, what do you want to do with this woman? She was caught in adultery. Also the woman at the, at the well, the Samaritan woman, how their lives were changed. We can talk of the Roman centurion who, who watched them nail Jesus Christ to the cross and watched him die and and his life was never the same afterwards. We could talk of Cornelius and the Ethiopian eunuch. We could talk of Zacchaeus and the, Philipp, the Philippian jailer. Many, many more. But of all the conversions that were ever recorded in Scripture, none is more remarkable than that of Paul. We were introduced to him on the road to Damascus as Saul from Tarsus. Paul was a bitter enemy of Christianity. He was a bitter enemy of Jesus Christ. He, he had nothing to do with it. He thought it was, of a, 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 I guess, a cult. I don't know what he thought. He called himself the foremost of all sinners on this earth. And yet, and yet because of the grace of God, he became the greatest evangelist, theologian, missionary that this world has ever seen. Paul never lost the wonders of his God. He found it hard, I think, to believe that God would redeem someone like him. And I believe he viewed himself as a supreme example of God's saving grace. Maybe you feel that way. I know I do. There was one thing in my life that just wasn't necessary for God to, to break down. This barrier in my life was the fact that I felt I believed deep within my spirit that if I were to die, that I was going to go to hell. Now, I, I, I had no doubt about it. That probably, and I've said to you this before, was my best quality. I, I, that didn't have to be broken down. And when someone shared with me that Jesus Christ wanted to forgive me of my sin, the hardest hardest part of that was believing that that could be true just because of a decision that I would make to ask Christ into my life and to forgive me. It seemed to me that I would have to do all sorts of other things to, to make God at, at peace with me. And the more I study the Word of God, the more I understand the grace of God. And, and perhaps you will too a little bit more today as we take a look at Paul's life. Paul's purpose in writing this letter let's remind ourselves, was to charge Timothy with a very difficult task. Timothy was a younger, younger man, and he was, he was called and commanded by Paul to correct the false teaching that was going on in the church at Ephesus. And so he was, he was coming against men who were probably older than him, probably more learned than him, who were trying to disrupt the church. Oh, we see that today. We see people come against the church, always come against the church. It's, it's, it boggles my mind. 
by bringing false accusations, trying to bring disharmony into the family of God. <laughs> I, for the life of me, that's, that's the one thing I don't understand. And so since they, the false teachers, were presenting a false gospel, Paul thought best that he gives to Timothy and those who would read this part in Scripture the true message of, of salvation. Showing Timothy how with the proper use of the law, that is, teaching the law properly, would bring a conviction of our sin and a desperate need within our soul for a Savior, God's saving grace. And so in verses 12 through 17, as we're going to read right now, Paul is going to show the significance of God's grace. The, the only place that's mentioned the grace of God, and it's sufficient, is in verse 14. But verses 12 through 17 is all about God's amazing grace. His unmerited favor poured out upon mankind. And Paul's going to introduce within that grace a word called mercy. Great, great word. Read with me, please. And Paul closes in verse 17 with a, a prayer, a doxology, if you would. I want you to note it all. It's, it's amazing. And when we close today, we're going to close with Paul's prayer in verse 17. He says in verse 12, I, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has strengthened me because he considered me faithful, putting me into service, even though I was formerly a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent aggressor. Yet, I was shown mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace, the grace of our Lord was more than abundant with the faith and love which is found in Christ Jesus. It is a trustworthy statement, Paul says, deserving full acceptance, Paul says, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners among whom, Paul says, I am foremost of all. And yet, for this reason, I, I found mercy in order that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might demonstrate his perfect patience as an example for those who would believe in him for eternal life. Paul closes now. To the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen means so be it. Dr. J. Vernon McGee in this one verse says this is the clearest presentation you'll find in Scripture that proclaims Jesus Christ as God, a very God. I don't necessarily want to get into that because I think you and I understand that we believe here at this church that Jesus Christ is God. We know that. We believe it. What I want you and me to, to comprehend today as we go before this place in Scripture is just how much. I mean, it, it really, as you can probably sense it, it really touches my soul. 
Paul is laying his life right out in front of everybody to see. A blasphemer, he said. A violent aggressor, he says. A persecutor of the church, he says. And yet, he says he was shown mercy. I don't know about you this morning, but perhaps, perhaps you need a touch of God's grace and mercy upon your soul today. Father, if that is the case, I pray that you would bless us, of course. Take upon the very essence of this place and fill it, Father, with your spirit. May we sense the very essence of what you want to say to us through Paul. This wonderful, glorious testimony of of your grace and mercy upon his life and therefore your grace and mercy upon our lives as well. Bless this reading, Father. Bless this service, Father. and Empty me of myself, Father. Move me aside, uh, even as was asked that maybe I say I become transparent so that we really see who you are. Regardless, Father, we just ask that you'll bless us, that you will open up our eyes so that we might behold wonderful things from your law. Your law, which convicts us of our sin, your law which leads us to our our tutor, our teacher, Jesus Christ. Bless this time, Father, in Jesus' most precious name. Amen. I want to start with Paul starts by saying in verse 12, look, he says, God considered me faithful, Paul said, putting me into service or ministry The idea of service or ministry is, I think, misunderstood today. I don't think so in this church. I think think you guys get it. At least it appears to me that you do. By a hundred of you volunteering to help during VBS, it's amazing. But you need to know what Paul is saying here is, by the word service is the word in the the Greek for deacon. What, What Paul is saying is that every single one of us all of us who have trusted in Christ ought to be service in service, in ministry unto the Lord. We are all children of God, so therefore we ought to serve our Lord together. And so verses 12 to 16 shows us the source of God's grace. Grace, God's unmerited favor given to every single one of us who will trust in Jesus Christ. It's explained here in verses 12 through 16. Look at verse 12. Read with me. Paul says, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who strengthened me, considered me faithful, and put me into service. Even though, Paul says in verse 13, I was formerly a blasphemer. I was formerly a persecutor. I was formerly a violent aggressor all against the church. Yet, he says, I was shown mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. And as verse 14 tells us, the grace, the grace of our Lord was more than abundant with, combined with, the faith and the love which are found where? All the faith and the love is found in Christ Jesus. And so we see that the grace that 
that was sufficient for Paul, more than abundant for Paul, was found in his Lord and his Savior, Jesus Christ, who strengthened him, who forgave him, who considered him faithful of all things to serve our Lord, even though he was formerly, it says, a, a blasphemer. He was formerly a persecutor of the church and a violent aggressor against the church. Turn back, please, a couple of pages. Hold your place in 1 Timothy. Look back at, at 1 Corinthians chapter 15. It's not far to the left. Uh, you'll go past Philippians, Ephesians, Galatians, 2 Corinthians to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Look what Paul says and thinks about God's amazing grace. Paul says in verse 9, I am the least of the apostles. 1 Corinthians 15 verse 9. I am the least of the apostles, he says. I am not fit to even be called an apostle, he says. The reason being is I persecuted, persecuted the church of God, he says. But he says in verse 10, by the grace of God, I am what I am. He says his grace towards me did not prove vain. I, I labored, he says, even more than all of them. In other words, Paul worked to honor his God by serving his God. And yet, he says, not myself, but the grace of God that was within me. Paul noted his amazing grace given to him by an amazing God. We've taught over and over again that when we are walking in the Spirit of God and using the gift that God has given to us, it's not us that do it, that does it. It's the power of God working through us. He would strengthen us. He will forgive us. He will consider us faithful he will put us into service. The most wonderful privilege that you and I have as human beings on this earth is to, to, to think that we could serve one day serving God. Can you even imagine? One day, yes, Lord, one day I'm at your beck and call, Lord. Back to 1 Timothy, Paul recognized that God chose him Paul recognized, secondly, that God strengthened him. He wrote in Philippians 4.13, Paul wrote, I can do all things through Christ who what? Strengthens me, he said. He realized that God considered him faithful, trustworthy. Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, Let a person regard themselves in this manner as servants of Jesus Christ, stewards of the mystery of God. He says in the second verse, in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, in this case, moreover, it is required. It is required of a steward that they be found trustworthy. He realized that God chose him, strengthened him, found him faithful and trustworthy. And fourthly, he realized that by the grace of God, he was put into service. The, the word service is, in the Greek is D-I-A-K-O-N-I-A. -I -I -A. It's, it's like a deacon, but it refers to lowly, humble service, just serving the Lord. I want you to see what Paul thought of that as well. Turn to the left to Colossians. It, it's not far. You'll go past uh, 2 Thessalonians and 1 Thessalonians to Colossians. Look at Colossians chapter 1, please, just for a moment. In verse 23, it says, Indeed, you continue in the faith firmly, if you do, established and steadfast and not moved away from the hope of the gospel that you've heard, which was proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, was made a minister. 
He says in verse 24, Now I, I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. In my flesh I, I do my share on behalf of his body, which is the church, filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. Of this church, he says, I was made a minister according to the stewardship from God. It was bestowed upon me, Paul says, for your benefit, Paul says, so that I might fully carry out the preaching of the Word of God. I, I relate to verse 25 so much. Not that, not like I'm Paul. I would never even dream of saying that. But I understand verse 25 to some degree. Verse 26, he says, this is a mystery which had been hidden from the ages past and generations past, but, but has now been manifested to his saints. In other words, he's talking about the church. The church is finally shown in all of its glory. You and I are a part of that. Verse 27, to whom God willed to make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery along with among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now he says in verse 28 and 29, we proclaim him. We admonish every person and teach every person with all wisdom so that we may present every one complete in Christ. That's the purpose of church. And for this purpose, Paul says, for the purpose of, of completing us in our faith, he says, I labor, striving according to God's power which mightily works within me. You see, that works within all of us because we learned in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8, 9, and 10, especially verse 10, it says we are His workmanship. We have been created in Christ Jesus for good works. God has prepared these works, it says, for us beforehand so that we would just simply walk in them. There's things to do that God has prepared for you and me. And so the grace of God, back to 1 Timothy chapter 1, was especially vivid in Paul's mind because of his past. You see, he was a great sinner. He needed great grace. How about you and me? I would like to say that I'm the, the worst there ever was, but I can't. Paul holds that distinction. But you see, unless the Bible is taught properly, we, you and I would never know how terrible of a sinner we are. Unless the Bible is taught properly, we would never know how desperately we need this grace, this forgiveness, this mercy from God. Paul says in verse 13 that he was a blasphemer. Now, that was one who slanders God. A blasphemer was a violation of, of, of speaking against God Almighty. It, it's, it was a part of the first half of the, of the Ten Commandments. The first four commandments are commandments that are against God. It speaks of our relationship with God. Paul says, I was a blasphemer. I, I spoke violently against God. But also, he said, he also did thing against mankind. You see, the, being a persecutor and a violent aggressor violated the second half of the Ten Commandments, which spoke of man's relationship with one another. Paul was relentless. He persecuted the church. We learn in Acts chapter 8, Acts chapter 9, Acts chapter 26 that Paul created havoc amongst the churches. He went from house to house to house. He entered people's homes and, and, he, and he pulled them away to prison. He approved of Stephen's death. 
in Acts chapter 8 and verse 1. And, and he also approved of the death of many other believers in Acts chapter 26, verse 10. So he persecuted the church, all right. And he also was a violent aggressor, it says in verse 13. That was a person with no normal concern for human kindness. The word for violent aggressor is H-U-B-R-I-S-T-E-S. We see it. We see it today in churches. It denotes a person who is driven by violence, a, a person who is contempt towards others in order to mistreat them. Both a persecutor and a violent aggressor have no concern for church, no concern for families within the church. They are only concerned for their own personal agenda. And Paul says, I needed the grace of God because I was that type of a man. Paul's need for grace was amazingly huge, folks. But the power of grace was greater than Paul's need. I mean, when, when Paul said in Romans 5.20, where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, is a true statement. In spite of Paul's past, it says in verse 13, the last part of that verse, he says, I was shown mercy. That's a great word. It's an aorist passive verb. It, it, it is, it is E-L-E-E-T-H-M-A-E-N. It, it, it speaks of, of, of a wretchedness of a person. Paul's wretchedness was met with God's compassion. That's mercy. We could never receive enough of God's mercy. I don't know if you're used to saying, God, forgive me and have mercy on me, but I ask you to learn that word and use it often. Mercy differs from grace. Grace is, is unmerited favor. Grace removes your guilt. God takes away your guilt and He places it upon His Son. And that, that guilt was laid upon Jesus Christ. Your sin, my sin, our sin was, was placed upon our Lord at the cross. And when He shed His blood, that blood was shed for the forgiveness of our sin. That's grace. But mercy, mercy takes away the misery that sin causes. You see, when you and I really understand what mercy stands for, when we really understand how much God loves us, when we understand what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross, when we first understand how wretched we are and how desperately we need a Savior, and when we understand how we fall so short and that there must be a Savior to save us, when we go to Him and we find His grace and we also find His mercy, there is a freeing in your life that you'll never ever experience apart from knowing Christ. I mean really, knowing Christ. His grace will be all over you. And His mercy will take away the misery. Think with me for a moment. Just... Just think with me for a moment. Paul confessed that he was a blasphemer. Paul confessed that he was a persecutor of the church. He confessed that he was a violent aggressor. He put people to death, Stephen and many others. Can you imagine when Paul went back into the community and he got into a Bible study, say, Gordon, for for some fleeting moment that he, he, Paul put your son to death. And your son's there no more. 
and he comes to you and he teaches a Bible study on God's love, how much, you know, how much courage must Paul had? How much grace and mercy must have been abounding in his heart that he could stand before his, his audience and say, God loves you. That's why when whoever preaches up here, if, they, if someone attacks their character or their integrity, they don't have anything above that. Nothing. Nothing. If you can't trust in this church, if you can't trust in the integrity of the church, we have nothing. Grace, mercy. So Paul was filled with that experience in his life, and, and you and I need to be. We need to understand how much God loves us. We could never receive enough mercy and enough grace. Verse 14 expresses all of that. God's amazing grace. It says in verse 14, the grace of our Lord, Paul said, was more than abundant. He needed it because he was a blasphemer. He was a persecutor of the church. He, he was a violent aggressor against people. It was more than abundant. He says in verse 14, because of the faith and love which was found in Christ Jesus. This verse permeates with God's thoughts. But verses 12 to 17 is just filled with God's loving grace and mercy along with the faith and love that's found in Christ Jesus our Lord. But why was grace so important here? What, what, what is Paul trying to prove? Well, he's trying to prove that, that these false teachers are going against the very grace of God, the very mercy of God, the very essence of who God is through His Son, Jesus Christ. And he's, he's, he's explaining to Paul what does it really look like when you're truly saved? What's the big deal about grace? Look at verses 15 and 16 again. Paul says, look, it is a trustworthy statement. He's pouring his heart out. It, this deserves full acceptance, he says. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners, among whom, Paul says, I'm the worst. I'm foremost of all. And yet, he says, because of this, for this reason, I found mercy. So that in me, as the foremost, the worst of the lot, Jesus Christ could demonstrate his perfect patience as an example for those who would believe in him for eternal life. Paul is sharing his testimony as deeply as he knows how. Examine me, he says, if you want. If you, if you can't see Christ, examine my life. I was a blasphemer, a persecutor of the church, a violent aggressor of the church, put people to death, and yet God's perfect patience was perfect in my life so that you might believe in him for eternal life if you examine me, he says. It's a very important verse because Jesus Christ, it says in verse 15, came into this world to save you and me, sinners. Listen, I, I don't believe for a second that Jesus Christ came to this world to be known as the greatest teacher that ever lived, but he was and more. I don't believe he came to this earth to be the greatest healer that ever lived, and he was and more. I believe that Jesus Christ came to this earth for one purpose, and that was to be the Savior. 
He came to this world to save you and me, sinners, and to demonstrate His perfect patience in your life and in my life so that others might believe in Him for eternal life. If you say you don't think that Jesus Christ can save you, then you're, then you're so sadly mistaken. Paul says you're wrong. You're dead wrong. Paul says he saved me. I was the chief of sinners, and if he saved me, he is able to save you too. But only if you want to be. It's a choice that you must make. You need to turn to Christ, and he'll do the rest. What kind of a man do you want to be? What kind of a woman do you really truly want to be? What do you want to do with your life? And so Paul closes with this prayer, this doxology, if you would, in verse 17, exalting his God. I want you to note, there is nothing in this prayer that has anything to do with Paul. It has nothing to do with what he has done. It has nothing to do with anything else but Jesus Christ. And so let's close with prayer. Verse 17, now, to our King eternal, immortal, invisible, to our only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. I'm done. Um, same thing happened last night. Uh, people just sat there, you know. You can really tell when you hear someone really know how to pray. When they pray, everybody sits dumbfounded. When I pray, everybody can't wait to leave. When we listen to Paul's prayer, we sit in awe. That's, I can't wait to see Paul. Can't wait. I love you all more than I can tell you. Have a wonderful, wonderful day. I, I can't wait to see you next week. Walk, walk, walk boldly with the grace and the mercy of God. You, you can go. I'm sorry. I'm just babbling. I'll turn my mic off. God bless you.